Chapter 6. I'll read it later, and other lies we tell ourselves. Managing expectations and guilt. During your PhD, it is possible to get so hung up on what you should be doing that you can end up being paralysed by procrastination and guilt. In this chapter, I will focus on some of the common thoughts you may have which might ultimately lead you to accidentally self-sabotaging your mental well-being and how you might tackle them. Starting out, when you embark on your PhD journey, whether you have come straight through education without stopping or are returning to education, there is likely going to be a change of pace. Depending on your location and institution, this can go either way. You may find yourself swamped with additional classes and coursework to do, or you may find yourself in a very open-ended research project with little formal structure. Managing this transition can be tough. It is more than okay and expected for you to ask questions and seek support from colleagues and your supervisor. There are several factors that may result in you feeling a little overwhelmed in your first few months of your PhD. No clear monitoring points. Unlike during undergraduate study, where there are a lot of exams and coursework, there is typically much less quantitative measures of your progress during a PhD. This can result in not knowing if we're doing enough to succeed and can make us doubt our abilities. It is therefore essential if you feel like this to ask for feedback from your PhD supervisor on your progress. Tip. Receiving feedback can sometimes be hard to hear, but everyone has something they need to improve on. The likelihood is you are progressing as expected. PhD student 6 states, I lost all concept of whether I was doing a good job during my PhD. It made me so anxious that I wasn't doing well, even though I had won several poster and talk prizes for my work. Peer perceptions. Being surrounded by peers that are just as intelligent as you can lead to imposter feelings, discussed in the next chapter, and feelings of inadequacy. You may have gone from being the top of your undergraduate class to being average in your PhD cohort. Reminder, average is still outstanding. And this can be a shock. Or you might be returning to education and need to take some time to recalibrate. It is important to remember that no route to a PhD is exactly the same, and therefore you may have a different background to those around you, but it does not mean you are any less capable. Not knowing where resources are. Something as simple as not knowing where resources are in your department, from where the printer is to where you can find mental health support, can add strain during the first few months of your PhD programme. Being away from your support network. Often starting a PhD means moving to a new town or city or even a new country. This means that your support network may suddenly be long distance, which can be hard to manage. Making new friends in a new location can take time. It is worth knowing that these should improve with time as you find your feet. Tip. Consider joining university societies to meet like-minded individuals and or signing up to social media and meeting people online through community hashtags such as hashtag academic Twitter or hashtag academic chatter on Twitter. Changing the world. Starting a PhD, we are often hugely optimistic and rightly so. We have a tendency to think that our research is going to change the world or feel the pressure to discover something truly unique. In the words of a good friend, in reality, it is more like, I might create something that might help the person, that helps the person, that helps the person, that helps the person, that ends up curing cancer. Even then, it might not. Research is a gamble, and sometimes research directions lead to dead ends. The takeaway from this is important. Your contribution to your field is likely to be small or incremental, 
This is the nature of research nowadays, as a large proportion of the fundamentals of the world around us have already been discovered. But that does not mean it is not significant. You may never see the true impact of the work you do. What you do achieve during your PhD is huge personal and professional growth. You will leave your PhD programme with skills in how to manage complex projects, supervise students and have gained a range of research skills along the way. There is also often a mismatch between what we think we will achieve and what we end up achieving. That is normal, but it can take time to come to terms with. In truth, pursuit of a doctorate will only be a very small part of your contributions to the world over the course of your lifetime. By acknowledging this, we can release some of the hold our PhD might have on us. Yes, you want to do your best, but it is not, and never will be, your only defining contribution. Your worth goes beyond your PhD. Planning your PhD. During a PhD, one of the requirements is usually to plan your PhD output over the next few months or even years. Cue the Gantt chart or detailed bullet point list of what you're going to achieve. When our research does not go to plan, it can result in us internalising feelings of not planning well enough. However, frontier research, exploring the unknown, cannot ever be truly predicted. So even the best laid plans will need to adapt and change completely during the PhD process. This is normal. When we start our PhD, we can also think that our PhD supervisor knows exactly how our research is going to pan out, because they have experience in the field. In reality, given it is entirely new research, they have a rough idea of what might work, but this still does not mean that your project definitely will. Tip. It may seem obvious, but remember your PhD supervisor is human and does not know all the answers either. When we write down our research plan, we also tend to write them in a very linear, stepwise manner, yet progress is rarely linear. The learning process is happening throughout our research, and the direction we take can be influenced by new information at any given time. Further, we can experience setbacks such as broken equipment, lack of access to resources that we need, or even having to do a range of unexpected admin or teaching to do, that means that progress is slowed compared to where we expect it to be. There are a range of how to get a PhD guides that you may find useful for planning your research. Please see the up-to-date list in the online resources accompanying this book. If you remain unconvinced, remember that you can explicitly ask your PhD supervisor about if you're progressing at the expected pace for your own calibration. Dependent on your country of study, there are also often yearly waypoint checks with your PhD committee, which is a good indicator of whether or not you're working as expected. By asking the question, it means you can course correct if needed, though the chances are that you are progressing just fine. You are entitled to and deserve breaks. The often nebulous, open-ended nature of PhD study can lead us to neglect taking breaks and vacations. Internally, we can justify this as there's always more work to be done and just keep powering through with fear that if we don't, we will not complete our PhD. Yet a PhD is a long process and can span from three years all the way up to around 10 years to completion, depending on whether you're full or part-time and or requiring extensions or periods of leave. Objectively, not taking any breaks during what is a huge portion of your life is not sustainable. You have to have downtime. Taking a break can result in you coming back refreshed with renewed energy and creativity to do your PhD work, although justifying wanting a break so that you will be more productive is not necessary. Rest is a right, it is not earned. 
Life is short, and a PhD is a long time not to see friends and family. My advice would be to take the opportunity to see those you care about when you can, although I appreciate this is not always possible, financially or otherwise. This can really help with mood and mental health management. Sometimes we feel nervous to ask to take time off in the first place. We can think that perhaps our supervisor will think less of us for doing so. In reality, the chances are that the time off will be granted, no questions asked. Tip. Planning out your year and booking vacation time in advance so that you A. Make sure to take your full holiday allowance and B. Provide plenty of warning to your supervisor can be a great way to ensure that you get all the vacation time you need. PhD student 7 states, I was worrying about asking my PhD supervisor for time off to go on holiday. I had worked it up into something much bigger than it was and the email that came back in response to my request simply said, OK. In some situations, it may be your supervisor who prevents you from taking vacation time, and pushing back against this can be tough. Most PhD programmes come with vacation time built in as standard, so knowing your vacation entitlement and your rights can be used to challenge this. If you're still struggling to take time off, joining your university union or graduate association may help you understand your rights further and provide support. Note. Taking time off for faith-based celebration should be granted. If this is denied, this can be considered discrimination. You may find that by taking time off, you may experience comments from colleagues or your supervisor joking about you taking vacation time. For example, off again, are you? Or how are you going to get anything done? These may be examples of microaggressions if the implication is that any time off would be detrimental. It's important to remember that you are entitled to take vacation time and that others should not be using shame to try and force you not to go. There is plenty of time during a PhD programme to complete an original body of work while still taking reasonable vacation time. You may also experience pressure and feelings of guilt if you're constantly observing peers working late into the night on weekdays and working over weekends. It's important to remember that working 24-7 is not a requirement to be successful. Whilst in theory, more hours in may mean more output, but this is only true to a point. It was this grind mentality that led me directly to burnout, which was not productive in the slightest. Managing your mental health and staying well may mean that you simply cannot work those long hours, and nor should you. It is more than possible to get a PhD, and a good one at that, not working routinely out of hours. Becoming an expert. We can put intense pressure on ourselves to know everything about our subject area straight away. In reality, becoming knowledgeable in your subject area will take time, even for practitioners returning to study. There can be incredible internalised pressure to know everything immediately and, quite simply, you're not going to. Even towards the end of your PhD, you will have accumulated knowledge but be aware that there is still a whole host of information you still don't know. This is normal. Reading the literature is a way to improve background knowledge. However, the sheer amount of existing research papers can be overwhelming. What results is a spiral of, I should be reading, or a backlog of papers and tabs open on our computers that in reality we are never going to catch up on. Understanding and accepting that that pile of papers is likely to just keep building can help us come to terms with the fact that we will never know everything. First time failing. During undergraduate and master's programmes, typically the work we explore, particularly in STEM subjects, is designed to work, and the outcome is already known. 
For example, synthesizing acetaminophen is a known chemical process, so as long as the protocol is followed correctly, the experiment will work. Although, those of you who have done organic chemistry labs will know that even then, sometimes science doesn't always go to plan. When we start doing a PhD, this all changes. All of a sudden, we're doing research without known outcomes. This has to be the case to be exploring something novel that has not been discovered yet. But it doesn't mean that when our work doesn't go to plan, that it doesn't hurt. To succeed, we have to manage our relationship with failure. Understand research requires a leap of faith. Understanding what works and what doesn't helps us build a picture of the world around us and drive towards new, creative ideas. To do this, we have to push boundaries and test where they break. Know that failure isn't actually failure at all. When we try new things and fail, we learn valuable skills along the way, such as perseverance and technical know-how. You might discover something else. When your research goes off-piste, it is in these moments that you may end up discovering something that neither you or your supervisor have actually thought about previously and may end up going in a different research direction than you intended. It is not your fault. Research is research and it always has the potential to go in undefined directions. This is not your fault. It is also important to remember that you are a student. You're not expected to know everything and get everything right. There will be a learning curve and this is expected. Be grateful or else. If you're struggling during your PhD programme, we can often experience a form of survivor guilt. We feel we should be grateful for where we are and for the opportunity we have, and this can result in feelings of guilt when we resent the situation we find ourselves in. Whilst gratitude is a good skill to practice, you do not have to be grateful if you find yourself in an unmanageable situation. Abuse does not and should not be tolerated. You deserve better than that. On a similar vein, we can often feel compelled to enjoy every aspect of our PhD programme, because if we don't, we're being ungrateful. In reality, there are going to be parts of any bit of work that you do not enjoy as much as others, or even dislike with a passion. This doesn't mean you are not a good PhD student, or that you are a bad researcher. It simply means that you are human. For myself, I really struggled throughout my PhD to sit down and actually read papers. I found my mind wandering after short periods of time, and it was almost impossible for me to do more than five minutes of reading a day. This led me to be hard on myself, other people were enjoying reading papers. Why wasn't I? Did this mean I wasn't cut out for a PhD? Later, I have realised that it means that deep reading of literature isn't for me. This didn't stop me from getting a PhD. Tip. Sometimes our perceptions of what a good researcher should look like can be far away from the truth and we can hold ourselves to unrealistic standards. Productivity and time management. It is natural to want to get from A starting your PhD, to B, getting your doctorate as quickly as possible. With that often comes both internal and external pressure to be constantly on all the time, thinking about your PhD, reading and working towards your end goal. For that reason, we can often guilt ourselves with statements like, I should be working, even though we have other aspects of life we're juggling. In reality, no human can work 24-7 and it's perfectly okay to have downtime. Yet, it is not only outside of work hours we can feel this way. We tend to have a perception that productive people are being productive all the time. This is simply not true. In fact, productivity is a wave, 
our concentration and productivity naturally oscillate. We will have periods of low productivity and high productivity, depending on our working style, well-being, motivation and other external factors. These periods could last hours, days or in extreme cases, weeks. Again, I will reiterate that, particularly during a long-term project like a PhD, this is normal. Perhaps the most important of all, you do not have to be productive every day. You may find that one day, all you end up doing is reading the same paper over and over again, and even then the information is not really going in. The next day, you may work eight hours straight. Lean into this, listen to your body and what is working best for you on a particular day. Comparing our unique working style with others can make us feel particularly rubbish. No project is the same, so comparison is like comparing apples with oranges. They're not comparable even though we might try. It is also important to note that we only see the output of other people when they are being the most productive. No one in the working environment is going to tell you about the three hours they sat in front of their laptop screen failing to write more than two words whilst getting distracted by Reddit. We may think that those around us, our colleagues and our supervisor, do not have these moments, but I assure you, they do. Well-being plays a key role in productivity. If we get our self-care right, it means we're more likely to have the focus and energy we need to stay at peak performance for longer. So investing in our mental health is investing in our output. Neglecting our well-being can also have other negative effects. If we keep pushing and pushing to be productive, paying little attention to our needs, ultimately we are likely to reach burnout. Burnout, a state of physical, emotional and mental exhaustion, can take a long time to recover from, during which time productivity is likely to be negligible. Establishing balance, pushing hard to be as productive as possible without going too far, is difficult. Unfortunately, it is often a learning curve, finding out how far we can go through trial and error. Whilst productivity naturally oscillates, there are some tips and tricks I wish I had known to maintain productivity for longer, reduce the feelings of guilt, avoid self-sabotage and ultimately improve mental well-being. Divide tasks into low and high productivity sets. Given our ability to be productive can vary, assigning tasks into a more manageable set for low productivity moments, think file organisation, answering emails, building contacts on social media, reading literature, and more difficult tasks that require more focus for when you're feeling more productive, e.g. writing, editing papers, creative thinking, data processing. This way, even in moments where you are struggling with motivation, there are still some tasks you can do to be productive with the energy that you have. Note, these are items I find easier to do in my low productivity moments. That doesn't mean that they are necessarily suitable for you. It is worth thinking about what tasks you find easier and designate them for when you are struggling accordingly. Take a break. While it may seem counterproductive, taking a break and collecting your thoughts can actually lead to increased productivity. This can be as little as taking five minutes away to get a cup of coffee and refocus. Going for a walk can also help boost mood, whilst giving you the opportunity to think through the research challenges you are facing with the added bonus of getting exercise. This still counts as work time. Consider using productivity tools. There are a range of tried and tested productivity methods out there, like the Pomodoro Technique, which is designed to reduce self-interruptions by having a set time period, usually 25 minutes, where you intensely work, followed by a short break, then repeat. Other options include online shut-up-and-write, community online sessions, designed to keep you accountable. 
remind yourself of why you are doing your PhD. A way to fight lack of motivation is to think back about why you embarked on the PhD process in the first place, as well as the main aims of your research project. Struggling to do that? Think about how you would speak to a room full of people about your project. How would you make them excited about the work you're doing? Tip, keep these motivations on a post-it note in your workspace to remind yourself. Accept time pressure might be your motivator. Everyone is different. Personally, I like to have any work done about a week before a deadline as I am an anxious person. But it may be that you procrastinate all the way up until a deadline. It's easy to feel bad about this, but I argue that sometimes we need these external motivators to drive us. So if you're delivering on the work just fine, even though you're working up until the last minute, if that works for you, it may be okay to accept this and work with it, not against it. Understand golden hours. We all have optimum working times. You may find that you don't work so well in the morning and are more productive in the afternoon or evening or vice versa. A PhD often comes with the benefit of at least some flexibilities, so use this to your advantage. Work when is optimum for you, if you can. Realise that no one truly works efficiently for long time periods. When we are working a typical eight-hour workday, the amount of focused working time we actually do, on average, is much less time than this. The rest of the day is filled with chatting with colleagues, breaks and admin. Thus, if you're working from home, it is important to be realistic with your time. Did you get a few solid hours of work done? Great. No one can be expected to sit there for eight hours every single day, working solidly without reaching burnout. Use this or that. Sometimes our PhD supervisor's expectations on what we can achieve in a particular time frame are a long way from the reality of what we can deliver. In this scenario, saying, I can do this at the expense of that, enables conversations about what work should be prioritised, while setting boundaries and highlighting that the volume of work is not achievable. Have a scary hour. We can often put off tasks that are a little bit scary to us, and they can weigh on us if left unaddressed. Scheduling a scary hour, or even a brave five minutes, each day where you face these tasks head-on can really help. Create a done list. With productivity, sometimes we can dwell so much on what we need to do, we do not give credit to ourselves and what we have achieved. Creating a done list and adding to it as you go can be motivating. With productivity, it's also necessary to consider if you're being realistic with the number of tasks you have and the amount of time you have to do them in. If you have too much work, having a frank conversation with your supervisor about delivery and expectations may be useful. Asking for extensions can also seem very daunting, but for the majority of cases, you may get that extension granted. Remember, the worst that can happen is someone says no, and you're in the same position as when you started. Prioritising. When we are overwhelmed with too many tasks and not enough time, taking a step back and taking some time to refocus can be incredibly useful. The Eisenhower matrix is a good tool to do this. This divides tasks into important and urgent, do these first, important but not urgent, put a deadline in your calendar for these, unimportant and urgent, delegate these, unimportant and not urgent, eliminate these tasks. For me, this helps me determine immediate actions and feel less overwhelmed. Through using a tool like this, it may be possible to figure out prioritising your work on your own. It may also be beneficial to speak to your PhD supervisor or a postdoc to figure out what is the most urgent and important bit of work to do first. 
The most important thing is to realise that you cannot do everything at once. It is not humanly possible. Note, as time progresses through your PhD, you will likely start to be able to prioritise with less reliance on input from others, as this is part of learning to be a researcher. Based on this, a task is to write a to-do list of all the items you need to do, then divide them using the Eisenhower matrix categories, important and urgent, important but not urgent, unimportant but urgent, and not urgent and or important. Then start on the task which is the most important and urgent to do. I must acknowledge that you may not be in a position to delegate to someone else to do the urgent and important work. I certainly wasn't during my PhD. However, I like to think of the delegate box as an opportunity to delegate work to myself on days where I have less mental capacity to do more complex work. To-do lists can also be really helpful to manage your workload, though something I wish I had learned earlier in my PhD journey is to get comfortable with always having a to-do list in the background because work is never done. Breaking down your tasks into more manageable chunks can help to feel a sense of achievement as you progress through your list. There is always more that could be done. Nevertheless, we have to take breaks, relax and recuperate without the guilt to really innovate and do our best research. Work will wait. Your well-being won't. Advocating for better. What can universities do to help PhD students manage expectations and guilt? Transition from taught degrees or from the world of work to a PhD can be a difficult one. Not understanding expectations can leave individuals feeling lost at sea. Thus, in my opinion, clear guidance as to what to expect during a PhD programme is needed. 1. Provide opportunities for feedback. Given that doing a PhD can feel nebulous, providing clear feedback to students along the PhD process can be valuable, though care must be taken to ensure that this is guidance rather than rigid waypoints as each PhD experience is different. 2. Allow for flexible working. A 9-to-5 working time may not be suitable for PhD students, and some flexibility in being able to work at hours where productivity is higher, be this around caring responsibilities or due to neurodiversity, and having periods of high-intensity working, followed by low-intensity, is important. 3. Give opportunities to learn time management skills. Do not assume that PhD students are familiar with effective time management tools. Training should be provided and a range of different productivity tools highlighted. 4. Ensure and reinforce vacation time. Rest is a right and it should be treated as such. Vacation days should be accessible to all PhD students and vacation day usage should be monitored to make sure no abuse of power is occurring, i.e. forcing students to work rather than take a much-needed break. 5. Consider mentoring programmes. Mentoring, whether from senior academics or peer-to-peer, can help expectations to be managed and improve PhD student understanding of the PhD process.